well. Hello, Embassy Church. It is such an honor and a joy to have this opportunity to proclaim the wonderful and amazing name of Jesus Christ to you today. I am so thankful uh, for this opportunity to share and preach out of the beautiful book of 3 John. And I'm thankful specifically to this local embassy of men and women here on earth that so lovingly and graciously serve for the sake of the name Jesus Christ. I have been loved here. I have been taken in and supported, which serves wonderfully for the sake of 3 John today. If you'd bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer. Father, may your word speak for itself today. May your son be magnified and glorified. And may we all leave today only desiring to live better, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and living in his truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of every new breath and every heartbeat that we are given. Praise you, God. As we learn from the book of 3 John today, I was thinking of a way to illustrate what this letter is like. And it's written as a warm and loving, endearing letter from the elder, from John as an old man, written to Gaius. And so John, old and wise in his years, writes to Gaius, seeing him as a spiritual child of sorts. And I was reminded of a story I had. So for the last three summers, I worked out at a camp in northern Minnesota. And it's been trying and it's been hard. And they've been some of the most amazing summers of my life. And in the second summer, a very hard physical summer, lots of storms physically and trees that fell over we had to clear, there was a boy and he came to us. So we were getting ready for the kids to come. They were 7th and 8th graders. And I was pulled aside and I was told that one of the boys in my cabin had wrestled with suicide and self-harm. And he'd been in and out, I believe, three times in a psych ward that very year. And it was heartbreaking. I hadn't even seen him yet. I didn't know him yet. But my heart broke for this boy. And so we prayed and we readied ourselves. And my boys started coming one after another into the cabin. And he turned the corner and you could just tell. Here was a child who was in darkness and who was hurting and who needed the light of Jesus Christ. So the week went on and it was trying and it was challenging and I was so sure God would get a grip of this boy's heart. And we're on the last night of camp and I'm sitting there just heartbroken, just wanting this boy to experience the light of Christ. And through no prompting of my own, he did walk up and he asked to talk. And so I said, of course. And I just told the other boys, I said, as long as you don't burn the cabin down, do whatever you want, and we're fine. And we went on a walk. And this boy, through the Holy Spirit working in his heart, he asked, I don't want to live in the dark anymore. I don't want to hear all these voices that are telling me to do bad things. I want to be free, and I want to live in the light of Jesus. And the reason I'm telling you this because that night I experienced one of the greatest joys I have ever experienced. It was as if this boy in darkness that I cared so much for, I saw him turn to Jesus, to walk in the light, and he became to me 
as a spiritual child, as someone I wanted to love and invest in. And not only that, but I saw after that day, he came back to youth group, a new kid. Everyone saw it. And he started bringing his friends. And those friends brought their friends. And it was this joy of walking a boy who was so lost and seeing him to then seeing and hearing about him walk in the truth and walk in the light. Now, the letter of 3 John is similar to this. John, he's rejoicing that Gaius, his spiritual child, is faithfully walking in the truth. He's overjoyed. And so as we read the letter of 3 John in just a moment, remember that tone, that joy, that love, and the happiness and how he's seeing his son in the faith walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. So if you turn with me in the Black Pew Bibles to page 963, we will begin to read the letter of 3 John. Verse 1. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. And I pray that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. For I have written something to the church, but Diophatris, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, Do not imitate evil. Imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and with ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is the word of the Lord. And it's written with this loving tone. As we are going to learn how faithful Christians support the gospel. And John does this, John teaches us how faithful Christians support the gospel through three characters we're going to read about. The first is Gaius, whom he's writing this letter to. And from Gaius, we will learn about serving. And then Diotrephus, who isn't a good example. We call him a foil in this book. 
He's someone that shows us what not to do, how not to act, how not to live as a Christian. And lastly, Demetrius, another faithful brother, will show us how to live in the truth. John will use these three men to teach us that faithful Christians serve. They humble themselves and they live in truth to further the gospel. The first man we'll read about in verses 1 through 4 is Gaius. And I'm going to read them again because there's nothing else I'd rather read than the word of God. So verses 1 through 4. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius stands out as a faithful Christian who serves for the sake of this gospel. And in these first four verses, all we're learning about Gaius is that he's faithful. John begins, and he's rejoicing. He's overjoyed seeing his brother walk in the faith. Gaius, a man with a healthy soul. John even prays. He prays his health would go well as his soul is healthy. He's thrilled hearing how faithful of a man this man is. John rejoices. He exclaims, I have no greater joy to hear that you walk in the truth, my son. No greater joy. And we should pay attention to this because John is setting up why. What is he doing that's causing him to rejoice? What does it mean that he's walking in the truth and they're testifying to the truth? Well, he explains this in verses 5 through 8. Beloved, or dear friend, my dear friend, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Gaius, the faithful Christian, is being praised for how he put effort into serving the missionaries. The strangers in this book, they're missionaries. They're men and women or men who have been able to go out for the sake of Jesus' name and proclaim the gospel. And Gaius, in our first point, he is serving the gospel. He's supporting the truth in his service of those people. Even though they were strangers, even though he most likely had nothing to gain, Gaius served, and he put in great effort to meet the needs of these brothers. And verse 8 points out to why all faithful Christians ought to serve like Gaius. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Gaius is encouraged by John. He's encouraged to continue supporting the brothers, supporting missionaries. 
that he might come across. He's told to send them in a manner worthy of God. If Jesus himself came to your doorstep, how would you treat him? And he's told to do this, to support them. We also are called to be fellow workers in the truth. Not all people are able to go out like the strangers in this book. Not all people can be full-time pastors. Not all people can go across the sea and spread the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And so our job becomes to support those people, to watch out for them, to pray diligent for, for them, to love them, to serve, and to put in effort to serve those people for the sake of the name. So we can become fellow workers. As I was reflecting on this, even just last night, my sister, her name is Rachel, she's going to be a missionary in Uzbekistan. Her first child is on the way this February. And at the end of summer, she's going to go for the sake of the name Jesus Christ to proclaim to people who have not yet heard. And it's heartbreaking for me as her brother, soon to be an uncle. My parents, they're heartbroken. And yet it would be so wrong if I did not love and support and serve her. Being able to take part with her to become a fellow worker with her. And a blood relation is not supposed to be the only thing that gets us to do this. If we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are to support those with our means and with our efforts, those who go out and proclaim the gospel. But not only are we told to serve these people for the sake of the name of Jesus, but we should humble ourselves. This is where John uses our second character, Diotrephus, to teach us that we should humble ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Gaius teaches us to serve. Diotrephus will teach us to humble ourselves. We read in verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephus is living as an unfaithful Christian who in his pride fails to support the spread of the gospel. He fails to support the truth. Diotrephus, if you read along with it, is someone who likes to put himself first. Or another way to put this, he likes to be in charge. He likes to call the shots. He likes to tell everyone else what to do. He doesn't want to listen to the authority of John or anyone else. He's a slanderer. And not only that, but he actually attempts to stop the gospel from being shared. He kicks faithful brothers out of the church. This man, as John presents him, is wicked. Because Diotrephus likes to make himself first, he hinders the gospel. And this should scare us. 
Do we hinder the gospel in times when we want to look at ourselves and put ourselves first? His biggest problem, his pride, he doesn't want to submit to John's rule. He doesn't want other missionaries to come and preach in a way maybe that's different than his. He does not want anyone else to have power. And so he turns away John's authority, slanders his name. And John, in his loving and endearing fatherly or grandfatherly voice, he's warning Gaius. Diotrephus has fallen into darkness and foolishness. The same that many of us fall into today. Our world tells us that everything's about us. We hear that church should be about us. The song should be what we like. The preacher should preach the way we like. And we run the danger of falling into what Diophatris fell into. Forgetting to humble ourselves. Forgetting to submit to the authorities that he himself has placed above us. David Kinneman, he's the president of Barna Group, is quoted in his book and he said this, There is a tremendous amount of individualism in today's society. And that's reflected in the church too. Millions of Christians have grafted a new age dogma into their spiritual person. But then he says, when we peel back the layers, we find that many Christians are using the way of Jesus to pursue the way of self. Many Christians, many people who profess the name of Jesus and who are living their lives for him are using the way of Jesus to pursue the way of self, to get what they want. They like their position of authority. They like their power. They don't want to submit. Diotrephus used his position to hold on his power. He fought against John, and he fought against others who came to share the gospel. True believers that were proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And so John is making it very clear that in order to be a faithful Christian, unlike Diotrephus, we must learn to put ourselves last and others first. A simple lesson. This letter as a whole is teaching us about a generosity focused on other people for the sake of the gospel going forth. And if we begin to think that church is all about us, about me, this Christian life is all about me, we miss the greater goal of our entire life. Our goal is to live for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John is teaching us that so far, that means serving those who are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and humbling ourselves, lest we become like Diotrephus and hinder the gospel message. John then brings us to our third character in this book, Demetrius. And it is here we will learn the importance of living a life in the truth for the sake of the gospel. Meaning, we live a life based off what the Bible teaches us, how God commands us to live. We learn that faithful Christians live in the truth. Demetrius, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, dear friend, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. 
Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Just like our second scripture reading this morning. And so we are given three reasons that Demetrius should be accepted here. That we should also live in the truth. One, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And I think we should pause here because I like to read fast. He is tested and everyone speaks highly of him. Demetrius is the one likely carrying this letter. So John most likely sent him out from his congregation with this letter to encourage his brother. So this is acting as one, a witness testimony. Trust this brother, welcome in him, treat him like the other strangers, but also everyone speaks highly of him. Demetrius is a faithful Christian. He's tested by many people. And I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, would others say this about us? Are we testified by everyone to be a good brother? Do all the people know us and look at us as loving Christians, as people who love Christ first? Or have we, like Diotrephus, got lost looking at ourselves? Maybe we look away from Gaius. Maybe we stop serving others. But his first point is we should have a good testimony with those around us. Number two, Demetrius receives a good testimony from the truth itself. John said Demetrius received a good testimony from everyone and then from the truth itself. One commentator said his life was consistent with the truth of the Christian life. There was a marvelous match between the two. Do we, like Demetrius, live a life consistent with the word of God? Do we love and support others? Do we humble ourselves and live rightly? Or again, have we been begun slipping in another direction? And the third point about Demetrius. He receives the testimony from John and his church. John testifies along with the church community to the man that Demetrius was. If embassy church members knew every part of our lives, our ins and our outs, would they testify to how we act and live outside of the church building as John is testifying for Demetrius? And so John used this last man to emphasize that we need to live good, gospel-centered lives that we should live in accordance with the scripture as we seek to serve humbly for the sake of Jesus' name going out. As we seek to serve those missionaries, pastors, elders, who are living full-time for the sake of Jesus' name going out. Do we serve? Do we humble ourselves? And do we live gospel-centered lives? The book of 3 John paints a beautiful picture of how we as faithful Christians should support the spread of the gospel. But I think there's more. And in our first scripture reading in John 13, 
How wonderful can we learn from our Savior, Jesus Christ? He did not come as a mighty warrior to destroy our earthly enemies. But Jesus came as a humble workman, speaking from his Father's authority just before the Passover feast where Jesus is killed, right before he is crucified and buried. We read this, and this comes from our our first scripture reading. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel wrapped around him. And further down he said, If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Should we not? As those who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ serve and humble ourselves, living gospel-centered lives to serve our other brothers and sisters, going out for the sake of his name. How great an example has he set for us. Jesus, knowing that he would soon face pain and sufferings of all the sins of the world, of every one of our sins if we believed and trusted in him, knowing he was and is the only faithful man to ever live, the one true king, the way, the truth, and the life, he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. And we are supposed to do the same. We are supposed to support and serve those going out for Jesus' name in the same manner. We should be eager to imitate Jesus in washing the feet of brothers and sisters around us. We should be eager if we proclaim to be Christians who serve humbly, living in accordance with God's word. And yet... I think we have to talk about an even more profound example of the service that Jesus has given. We read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who created all things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the one who all things are created through and for him, who holds all things together while we were still sinners, while we were lost in the darkness, he came and he died for us. 
so we may be washed by his precious and beautiful blood. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that you cannot boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved through the most backwards day in all of history where Jesus, the Son of God, died for all our wrongdoings as a gift from God so that we now, created in Jesus for good works, should walk in them. If we proclaim that we are reborn, children of God, believers in Jesus Christ, we are commanded to faithfully serve in humility, living a gospel-centered life to further the gospel, to be fellow workers in the gospel, to serve those who go out for the sake of the name. Even now, Jesus prays and he intercedes for us. The job is not done. More of his children need to hear what he has done, how he lived a perfect life, died was buried, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven so we could have the same spirit that raised him from the dead in us. Our life's purpose should be to live as faithful Christians that further the spread of the gospel. And that is why Embassy prays faithfully for our churches to share this truth. If you notice today in our prayers before the service, we prayed for other churches to proclaim this. We support missionaries in other nations to proclaim this. This is why we should strive and work hard as people of a local church. This is why we should humble ourselves to our pastors and our elders who are in authority above us so we do not hinder the gospel work. We should all seek Jesus and live lives based around what he has commanded to support the going forth of the gospel. And there is no greater mission than to share this story and serve people who live full-time for the gospel so we can be called fellow workers in the truth. We, like Gaius, like John, like Demetrius, are to imitate good and support the spread of the gospel, not putting ourselves first, but living in gospel truth. This then leads us to John's closing statements. And he says, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and with ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. You remember the loving tone he writes this letter with to his spiritual child. The loving old man Faithful, tested in years, the elder, bold in his face, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. He remarks how he wishes he could see his child face to face. And his last command is to greet the brothers. John will come soon, and not only will he embrace his dear child Gaius, but he will confront the sin and the foolishness of Diotrephus. May we, like John, seek this brotherly fellowship at embassy every single day. 
May we do the same as he does. The Christian life is not all about me or about us. It's about the work of Jesus. And if we are children of God, we are happily adopted as his children to take part of this local church. So may we serve those who are living for the sake of the gospel together as a body. No matter if we're best friends, no matter if we're strangers, we are united by the blood of Christ and called to proclaim this name together. Embassy Church, John has reminded us today that faithful Christians serve. Faithful Christians humble themselves, submitting to authority and live holy lives all to further the gospel. And before we move on into our last songs, one of the songs we will sing is the power of the cross. And we read, this is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. May this motivate us beyond all else to support the gospel, to support our pastors, to support our missionaries who are living for the sake of the name so we, Embassy Church, can become fellow workers with them. God, in my own attempts to proclaim the name of your son, Jesus, and how we are to live through my stumbling words, I ask that you do a work and you grow our hearts and our minds and our souls to love you to give us understanding that we stand forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do a work among us, leading us in your word to follow you, worshiping and praising together as we support those who are to live for you. Amen.